All righty. Firefox OS. <laughs> or I think I saw somebody spell it out without spaces or upcasing the OS, so it was Firefox. Firefoxes. Firefoxes, yep. This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript The Good Parts, Build Web Applications with Node.js, AngularJS In-Depth, and Advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A., Bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they give you a $2,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept the job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber. This episode is sponsored by Rackspace. Are you looking for a place to host your latest creation? Want terrific support and high performance all backed by the largest open source cloud? What if you could try it for free? Try out Rackspace at JavaScriptJabber.com slash Rackspace and get a $300 credit over six months. That's $50 per month at javascriptjabber.com slash rackspace. This episode is sponsored by Widgmo 5, a brand new generation of JavaScript controls. A pretty amazing line of HTML5 and JavaScript products for enterprise application development in that Widgmo 5 leverages ECMAScript 5 and each control ships with AngularJS directives. Check out the faster, lighter, and more mobile Widgmo 5. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 141 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have David Smith. Hello, world. AJ O'Neill. Yo, yo, yo. Coming at you live as always. He also brought along Forrest Tate. Hey there. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Before we get going, I do want to, uh, I hate doing this, but uh, I have to swallow my pride. So this show and Ruby Rogues bring in enough sponsorship money to cover themselves. But I have a few other shows that aren't quite bringing in enough to to pay for themselves. Adventures in Angular, The Freelancer Show. Um, if you'd like to support the podcasting effort here, you can do that by going to devchat.tv slash donate. You can also go join the forum for this show by going to javascriptjabber.com slash forum. And finally, I'm going to be putting together some products around podcasting. So if you're interesting, interested in podcasting, go to pickuppodcasting.com and uh, you can get information about the book I'm writing and the course I'm putting together. Anyway, we also have a special guest this week, and that is Jason Weathersby. Hello, and thank you for having me on the show. Now, you are a an evangelist for Firefox OS, is that correct? Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm technically an evangelist for all of our products, but we've been concentrating pretty heavily in the last couple of years on Firefox OS. Awesome. Do you want to give us a brief introduction? Any other things that you're involved in or want to talk to talk to us about before we get into Firefox OS? Well, uh, pretty much just, you know, that spending, like I said, spent the last year working on Firefox OS and actually in, in, in next year we'll also be spending a lot of time on Firefox OS, but we're going to be working on some, some other initiatives, some IoT initiatives, and, and I'll talk a little bit about that later in the interview if you'd like. So that's pretty much it. 
Sounds good. Now, we've had quite a few people from Mozilla on over the last couple of years. I'm curious, though, it seems like Mozilla does a lot for the web, and this seems like kind of a mobile-focused product. So how do we as web people or JavaScript people really identify with or care about Firefox OS? And that's a great question. From a, a 50,000 foot layer, what is Mozilla about? It's about the open web and, and, and pushing innovation and pushing the web to, to every reach of the globe that, that actually has capabilities of connecting. And currently, the, the strongest place in, in development in the last couple of years has been well, obviously mobile, right? So and when you, if you're in the U.S. or in Europe or most of the Western world, you're going to have easy access with your mobile phone, smartphone to the Internet, right? And so that's obviously those are the marketplace for mobile phones is really controlled by just a couple companies. And it's not very web friendly, not very open. And so for our, from our standpoint, this was a, a logical extension of the open web onto the mobile platform. Ideally, in an ideal world, there is no such thing as a mobile app. It's all just the platform, the open web. And so that we, this, we thought this was a logical area to be involved in, as well as in the future we'll be involved in, you know, IoT devices and, and things like that. So that was the logical push behind it. Now, when we first built Firefox OS, it was really geared at, emer- at the emerging markets, uh, creating low-cost alternative phones for people to come on the, that are, are just coming off of feature phones and, and moving online. So we want to give them the capability to easily write apps, write apps in languages that they already know and that are very familiar with, and frankly, make up the vast majority of the open web. Now, I have two questions. One is, what is IoT? And the other is, this sounds a lot like Chrome OS. Yeah, okay. Well, IoT is the Internet of Things. Oh, okay. So, so, so essentially, think about it as, you know, just a, a microcontroller board with running Firefox OS controlling certain devices. And we have, a, you know, we have a couple examples of that. You know, Firefox OS has already been ported to Raspberry Pi. We just announced a released phone in Japan last week that also support that as part of that initiative, they uh, released a, a board called the Open Web Board, and it'll be running Firefox OS. We're working with Panasonic on creating next-gen smart TVs using Firefox OS. So it's not just, when we talk about Firefox OS, we like to think of it as a mobile operating system. But that's not what it, the only thing it can be used for, or nor will it be the only thing it's used for. So is Firefox OS built on the Linux kernel? Yes, it is. So Firefox OS is really made up of three parts. We think of our lowest la- layer as Gonk. That's what it's, it's codenamed. And Gonk is basically an Android kernel. And it's currently built on the Android open source project. So supporting KitKat, ice cream sandwich, and jelly bean right now. And on top of that is Gecko. Gecko is our web rendering engine. Same Gecko that we have in our Firefox browser. And then uh, the only addition to that is we have a set, over 30 web APIs that we've implemented at that layer to directly interface with the hardware through Gong. And then above Gecko is Gaia. And Gaia is essentially the visual element to the operating system. Every app you see in a Firefox OS phone is an HTML5 app, meaning it's made up of HTML, JavaScript, and CSS. And not only are the apps built that way, you can actually, using our tools, debug any even the system apps and see what's actually happening in the background. So, so is that to say that Firefox OS apps are actually not written in the same language, being Java, that regular Android apps are? You are correct in that assumption. Uh, apps for Firefox OS are web apps. The only addition that we have is essentially a manifest file that describes permissions that the device may use or APIs the device may use, uh, stuff like icons and you know descriptions and things like that. 
So locally running apps are essentially being run through Gecko as sort of an internal web server that well, renders that, all the stuff? That's essentially it. Yeah, I and, figure I oversimplified that, but kind yeah. of the idea, you write a web-based app, you know, with web technologies, and then it runs it, you know, natively on the phone using Gecko and Gunk. Yep, and and and, and I'll and I'll give you the if you look at the way um, if you if you look at a standard web app and you're, it's sitting on a page and we've had several examples of this. Last year we ran all, all of these phones for apps programs where we actually encouraged web app developers to deport their app to a phone. Well, in a lot of cases, the total effort was put a manifest file with it, use our responsive design view to verify all the layouts look good, and publish your app. That was essentially it for a lot of apps, and especially the ones that do, don't use device-specific hardware, say, you know, geolocation or, or something, or some feature of the Wi-Fi or something like that. So if I write a Firefox OS app, am I free to use any JavaScript framework or CSS language like less myself? Yeah, that, and that's a and that's a great question. And I'll tell you, I'll let me explain it first by saying, generally, most of JavaScript frameworks out there work just fine on Firefox OS device. The only stipulation that ever comes uh, becomes a problem is generally CSP violations when your app is either privileged or a certified app. And if you want me to explain the difference between the types of apps on Firefox OS, I can briefly do that real quick. Yeah, I think that would be helpful. And can okay. you tell us what CSP means? Content security policy. Which is basically, you know, a, a couple, I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, you know, we do things like you can't have inline script. You can't, you can't use eval. And, and I'll, let me explain why we have those restrictions in place. And it's part of Firefox OS's security model. Firefox OS basically has three types of apps that can be used on the phone. There's hosted apps, which are apps that actually stay live on your website and are, are read from the, to the phone. Then we have packaged apps. Packaged apps are the entire web app is zipped up and downloaded to the phone. Now, this packaged app can also be privileged. Uh, so it can, and the reason we have privileged that, uh, status is for certain features, like if you want to access the contacts API, then it's a permission that's required and it makes the app look, need a little bit more security associated with it. So that's the, the, the main layer that you'll see when people are using device specific APIs. Well, obviously, if you have access to the contacts API, first off, the user's notified that that the app is requesting that permission and gets to, you know, okay it or deny it. But at that point, you come to a point where uh, CSP, the, C, the, the the policy that we're using is much more restrictive than if it were just an open web app or a packaged app with no privilege. And a couple of the things that you'll see, and this is probably the most common reason for rejection that I see in our Firefox marketplace is that they've done some inline script. You can't have remote scripts. You can't have script tags with remote URLs, things like that. And we have a, a, a web page that describes all the um, the, the security policy. Is so, the idea there to stop developers from modifying an app once a user has installed it? Well, so this for that as well as to protect the end user from having their information, you know, uh, misused. This essentially breaks down the cross-scripting vulnerabilities and things like that. In the case with uh, CSP issues that we've had with Marketplace apps, almost all of them are fairly easily fixed. So does that also apply to image tags and other remotable elements? Yes, that does. So basically, when you create your app, you want it to be as if the phone is your web server. All the files are there locally. You're not going out to a CDN to grab anything. You're not forgetting about any images that are going out remotely. You want to have 
most of that content there on the app, or I'm assuming, I don't remember this, but I'm assuming in the um, specification file, you can say like, allow me to contact this website at this route or something, right? Well, so, yeah. So the way we do that is, you know, you can, obviously all the files do not have to be placed on the, on the device. If you have a hosted app, all the files stay where they're at. Now, if you want that app to work offline, we have a, a, a feature called App Cache that allows that specifies what files and things to bring down for caching purposes. And then you obviously would have to code for non-connected issues. And and in the areas that we're actually pushing the phone, the connections can be an issue sometimes, right? So you have that capability of pulling everything down like in a, a zip file. That's called a packaged app. All of that would be self-contained. But we also have the capability using like a system XHR where you can go out and it's a permission that you have to put in the manifest file that basically says I want to, you know, use a, a system XHR and go out and read that data and pull that data into my app. And we use that, for example, if you're reading a, you know, an updated text file or uh, some piece of content that is updated routinely on your website, and you just want to pull it in. Since you brought up system XHR, there's a slight tangent that I want to bring up, or maybe it's a major tangent, but I was trying to use Angular and System XHR, and there's kind of this feud on this GitHub issue where a lot of the Angular team says Mozilla shouldn't have made an XHR that takes parameters, and the other people that are using Firefox OS say, well, they did, so you should support it. And currently the solution to get the System XHR to work on with Angular is you have to download the Angular file and then just patch the one line of code to allow the option for um, system XHR true and uh, what was the other option, like like strict security policy true or something like that? I don't remember the, the actual parameter name, but AJ, is there a Bugzilla entry file for that? I doubt there is. I mean, I, I think everybody who's commenting that's not part of the Angular team on this issue is kind of of the opinion like, well... You know, Chrome does its own thing. Mozilla did their own thing. Can't we just play nice and won't you just let us pass that option in? And they, they kind of seem to be stubborn on it. I mean, I, I haven't really thought of it as a bug in, in Mozilla, but I'm just the, the point that I was going to bring up with that is like you're introducing new APIs and, you know, other people don't necessarily agree. And like, what's the path to yeah. help resolve and bring things together so that, you know, Google people are okay with accepting like, yeah, this is an okay way to to express this API or something. Because yeah. with Chrome OS and some of the developments with the the native Chrome ish stuff, like I know there's there's overlap and there's bleh. yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. I said I said Firefox OS had we've implemented somewhere over thirty APIs. Almost every one of these APIs is actually making its way through W three C. And if you want to see the status of any one of those or be involved in the uh, the communications on that, I'm going to send, uh, give you a link to look at. This is Excellent. our we have a web API link that basically goes through essentially every API that we that you can use that is pretty much unique to Mozilla or unique to Firefox OS. And in that list, you'll see where where we're sitting with all the WC3, whether it's an you know an editorial draft, working draft, a candidate recommendation, something like that, or whether we haven't started one yet. So the vast majority of the APIs have already started their way through WC3. Okay, so hopefully that stuff will get worked out and resolved as time goes on. Sure. Do you expect these uh, some of these APIs to make their way back into regular browsers? 
some of them already have. I mean, in the case of like, you know, you look at geolocation and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that's, that's the intent. We're making the changes in Gecko and they're, so they're going to be there. Um, but by the way, on that same issue, AJ, I, we did, we, we had a similar issue. I believe, I don't remember all the details on it, but we had a similar issue with one of the jQuery modules for system XHR and, uh, jQuery fixed, uh, patched it. Oh, and I'm actually looking at the Angular issues page right now, and I can't find the issue I was referring to. So, so maybe that did get resolved. Maybe they finally conceded. Uh, by the way, I do want to say that, um, and I don't know whether where you want this in the conversation, Chuck, but with that phone we just released in Japan, that makes uh, 16 phones in 29 countries that we've released in now. So the Flame is the developer reference phone, and. Anybody can buy that. You have to go to the manufacturer's website and purchase it. I guess you can give us the link to that. I don't remember what it was called. But, well, I'm going so. to give you the link to our MDN page for flying. Currently, we're I think the, the manufacturer is not selling them at the moment, but the, we're expecting that. I believe we're expecting that to start back up at the beginning of the year. I will say also... If you look at the flame in itself, it's a very, it's a mid-range phone with a lot of nice capabilities, dual SIM type stuff, uh, dual core processor, has a configurable amount of RAM, so it goes up to a gig. You can actually use a command line to adjust that. But that was a reference phone. We've also, you know, we partnered with Geek's Phone to build the Keon, which is also another reference phone that we shared with a lot of developers. So a lot of the develop, there's a lot of different phones out there that, that you can use to do development more with Firefox OS. And you can also buy the ZTE open and see on eBay. And all of those are unlocked. So like if I got, if I have a Keon, I have multiple Keons here. If I want to patch it to the latest version, they the, the carriers generally or the manufacturers generally carry a website that has a link to the latest image files that you can flash to the phone because we, we, we're using ADB and Fastboot just like Android development. So the Flame, from my experience, seems to be the best phone to have as a developer in America because... Uh, would you say that's correct? I, I would definitely say that's correct. And, and currently I'm using, you know, you obviously got, I actually have a, a SIM card plugged in for mine where it's actually working and I'm using T-Mobile for mine. Yeah, I've I've actually got the an open C that I run on T-Mobile and I've got a, a flame that I'm on AT&T with. It, it seems like I can't get the open C to upgrade to 2.0. Is that correct? Is that phone not going to be upgradable past 1.4? I don't know. Generally, on the OpenSea, I, I, you probably went through the website to get their download. I don't know if they've updated their 2.0 build or not, so I'd have to look into that. But Okay, uh, so that that's more up to the manufacturers of the OpenSea, but the Flame Mozilla is more in control, of cause, right? Because I see you have several builds listed on the wiki site for the Flame. Well, yeah, and, and generally, like, we work with the partners, and, and, and when we do the nightlies, we help them with work, and they help us, too. So it's a community effort of basically pulling the builds together for a particular nightly or, or a latest release or something like that. Like, on the Flame page, you'll see there's, I think, a 2021 and a 2.2 build that you can actually download and start using. So this is leading me back to the time when the combination of Android, Samsung, and Verizon ruined my life. And basically what would happen is they'd come out with a new version of Android and I'd be excited to get it and then nothing and then nothing. And then finally Samsung would come out like a year and a half later 
hey, we finally finished ruining the latest version of Android from a year and a half ago. It's only two versions behind, but you can have it now. And then nothing, and then nothing. And then finally Verizon would get done finishing the ruining of Android, you know, and then I'd get the update. So it sounds like here you have a little bit more control. Are you going to run into some of these issues as more phones build on top of Firefox OS and more carriers start to sell the phones? Yeah, and and I, and I think that that's a probably going to be a common issue with pretty much any of these type of phones, whether it be Android or Firefox OS. That said, you know, Mozilla is a, a fairly large community. We have a lot of people that work on virtually all of the devices. One of the questions we talked about in email was, you know, does uh, we support dual boot and flashing of, of any Android phones? And and we'd have examples of of all of those. But and and those are actually built. A lot of those were built by the community. For example, uh, I think the Nexus 4 and 5 ports were initially done by community members that did YouTube videos and created websites about it and things like that. So, you know, you can do the Nexus 4 or 5. You can also use a Galaxy 2 if you want to go with a Samsung product and flash it as well, as well as the Keon. It supports them. But they also support dual boot in all of those cases as well. So I'm curious. It seems like the Android portion of the phone should be handling all the abstraction with the low-level hardware. So if it's, you know, this chipset for NFC or this chipset for the the camera or this chipset for whatever other feature there is, like intuitively, I would just think, well, you know, Android kernel, Linux kernel is taking care of that. So why wouldn't Firefox OS be able to run without modification on any Android KitKat base, for example? Like what, what is... Well, what yep. is it that's holding it back? Because if yep. Android runs on it, why? Yeah. Yeah. So, so if you look at that I, I, earlier, I talked about that. You know, we really work on the, you know, the three Kit Kat, jelly bean, and ice cream sandwich, right? So, in in Broadscope, the answer is it should run on those. Now that said, there's always caveats to virtually every build for every phone. There's always some small differences, and those are generally we handle those in you know in our Gonk build. But then obviously you have the communication where Gonk is exposing those to the Gecko engine, so we have a direct API from Gecko go to Gonk, a direct connection. So there's no intermediate layer in between the two. So I don't know if that answers your question, but obviously we've had a lot of people that have ported it to different, a variety of different devices based on Android. I'm interested to hear Dave's question about Gonk. Oh. Oh. It sounds like he's already answered it. Yeah, I was just going to ask a little bit about the differentiation at the Gonk layer between Android and Firefox OS. So, yeah, that that is something that I'm curious about. It seems like you've added some things to Gonk in order to make it so that you can interface with it from JavaScript. Is that changes in Gecko, or are those changes mostly in Gonk? It's actually in both of those, right? Mm-hmm. So prototyping the functions in Gonk, which is written in a different language than when you're and in Gecko, you prototype on those functions and you're exposing them to Gecko. So, and the, and the whole idea is, you know, to give a a pretty streamlined, speedy approach to access to most of the, most of the hardware, i.e. the camera API. So the other question I have is, let's say that I'm a mobile developer, and I've got my fingers in a lot of mobile stuff. So the most popular mobile phone is the iPhone, and then the next most popular platform, I guess, is the Android family of phones. <clears throat> First off, can you run native Android apps on a Firefox phone? And the second question is, If not, then do you expect a lot of people to be writing apps for a Firefox phone when there are larger markets? 
Okay. okay. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, those are both great questions. I would. I'll tell you. There's uh, there's a two way answer on this. So on Firefox. So it, it, let's let me start with the easier approach. If I'm looking at Firefox uh, OS apps, they can run on a Android phone. Mm-hmm. All right. The other way around is basically Android apps running on a Firefox OS, and currently that's not supported. But I will say we do have a project that people are working on right now that basically emulates a Java VM on top of uh, Firefox OS that allows certain apps to run. So I don't know what the progress of that work is at the moment, but there are people working on that solution. With the, so, with the Firefox apps running on an Android phone, though, do you have to go in and install some stuff to make them work? And that's a great question. There's, there's two ways you can, if you're, say I'm using my Android phone and I go to Firefox OS Marketplace or, or download an app to it, there's a couple of ways you can get those apps to run on Firefox OS. If you're using Firefox, the browser on your Android device, they will just work if you just download them and install them. Now that's when the developer puts his app in the marketplace as a setting for exposed to, you know, uh, Firefox on, on mobile, which is essentially the Android uh, flavored mm-hmm. devices. So, that's one way. You just install Firefox, the browser on, 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 on your Android phone, go to the marketplace, download the app you want. That's the quickest way. You can also, so, you can also th- use, go ahead, if you. Uh, I was going to say, does the Firefox browser on, on Android have like some parts of Gonk in it or something or? Well, so it's, in this particular case, it's, it's still a modified version. It's still the gecko that we're using in Firefox OS with some modifications to actually talk to the implementation the way uh, Android is implemented down in their Linux kernel. So there is, and that's why there, man, there's a little bit of differences associated with that from, from, but from an API standpoint up to, up the tree, you won't see no differences. And that's why, uh, no, that's not to say that's in a bug free world. That's to say we've never had a bug, which we all know is not true. So in that, in that particular case, it's a modified version of Gecko for the Android environment. All right. And the second okay. way, the second way is uh, you can sideload them using our APK factory. Okay. And so when you publish an app to the Firefox marketplace, it automatically generates a, a manifest URL for you. Basically says, hey, the description and everything about the, this app is defined here at this URL. You take that URL and there's a, uh, we have an APK factory URL that automatically generates an APK based on the app itself. So you can download it and then use the Android simulator to just sideload it into the phone. Is that with Cordova or is that completely That's- separate? Totally separate. We do do work with Cordova, and I assume you will. I assumed you guys would want to know a little bit about that. In the, uh, but if you want to hold that question for now, that's fine. Well, I'd I'd like to know a little bit more about the APK factory. So, is that just basically providing the Gecko stack along with the application, and so it can yeah. run? Yeah. Well, I should have clarified with the APK factory. Even if you sideload it, you still have to have Firefox. Loaded on the Android phone. Okay. So it just turns around and uses that uh, rendering, the Gecko rendering engine that, that, that way. If you install the APK, then will it tell you that you need Firefox in order to run it? I don't remember if we actually uh, promote an error message or not. I, okay. We may. I don't, I don't, to be honest with you, I don't remember. So would, would it have the, the Chrome of the Firefox browser or would it look more like a native app? Yeah, it's going to have the Chrome of Firefox OS. Of the Firefox browser. Okay, so it's going to have like an address bar and it's going to... Well, 
So an app doesn't necessarily, an app doesn't have any of that. I mean, an app can be anything you want. If you want to write a canvas game, you write a canvas. I, I, I wrote a little pool game that I, that I used to show a, use an APK factory and it looks the same on Firefox OS as it does on an Android device. And frankly, I just made the whole screen and use a canvas tag. Oh, okay. So, so it's more like the Firefox browser in kiosk mode, not. So it's, it's so similar to like how iPhone, you save a bookmark to your swipey oh. thingy. Home, home screen. screen. <laughs> Thank <Yeah>. you. <laughs> and it'll open up, but it won't have like the address bar and the, the options. And, you know, it, it's more just the app, right? Yeah, it's just the app. And if you look at it from, I mean, it, it, we even have a browser API, so you can put a browser inside of your app. So that would then have the, <laughs> and, and the, and all the things of associated with a browser. So, uh, it is technically just an app. And then, okay. And, that's it. I'm writing a browser for Firefox OS. <laughs> so is, is the browser Chrome written in HTML? And uh, the browser, you know, that's a uh, the browser app itself on Firefox OS is mostly exposed on just using the same Gaia interfaces that we use now, which is HTML5. Now uh, there are some projects going on to actually implement a browser all in HTML, and that's based on uh, I don't know if it was I think it was based on Servo. It might not have been based on Servo, but I've seen it go around the company. So my other question, the, the the other one I asked at the same time, which isn't fair, but I did, is the question, are you worried about coming in like third or fourth to iPhone, Android, Amazon, and some of these yeah. other uh, systems or ecosystems out there? Yeah. So, so and, and the answer to that question is no. I'm not worried about that first off because when we created Firefox the browser, and the same goes with Firefox OS, we didn't create it to necessarily compete with anybody, but to, to cause competition, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you look at... If you look at Firefox OS, when we initially created, we sure, surely we're not trying to compete with Android and, and iPhone head to head, right? That's not, especially in, in the, in the U.S. and in other, uh, Western nations is just not a, it's not necessarily a viable option. But that said, you know, we've, so it's really for the uh, emerging markets. That said, I don't think, I mean, obviously, I think the phone can be as snappy and as quick as any iPhone or, or Firefox or, or, or Android device. And that gets into the question that Dave wanted to ask. Dave, do you have any particulars you want to ask about that? So, yeah, I do have a question about the UI. So when you first said that the whole phone user interface is all implemented in HTML and running on the Gecko engine, I immediately thought, well, it must be sluggish and slow. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, like the home screen and some of the more native-looking parts of the UI and what you've done to make those fast? And maybe they aren't fast. You tell us. And maybe they're sluggish. Yeah, yeah. But... yeah. Oh, no, the, no, the phone... Um... That's a great question, and, and the, the, probably the number one thing that we do from version to version in Firefox, uh, uh, we released, I think, five versions last year, uh, within the last year and a half. Almost every one of them has had an improvement as, associated with scrolling and general UI performance. You know, we added web workers in version 1.3, and so a lot of, we actually have meta bugs that are solely tracking nothing but how quick and snappy the performance of the UI is. And if you go back to one of our earlier releases, the 1.01 release, while it was a, a good phone and it's a, a great uh, uh, starting location, you look at, compare that to our 2.0 phone and there's a great deal of difference between the, the panning and, and how quick scrolling occurs and things like that. So we, we're constantly trying to improve performance. And that, that, that goes across all of our categories, including things like WebGL in the phone and things like that. So I I do have a question about that because I can tell a difference on my iOS or Android phone when I'm using a non-native app. 
I don't know. Sometimes I can just tell. You know, it's like an HTML app and just like a, a web view or something. Having the entire user interface implemented that way, has that been a challenge for you? Or well, has it been not too bad? Well, so I think from the initial release, I think it was probably uh, one of the greatest challenges is to make sure that when people are used to an iPhone, for example, that is number one, is how quick and responsive does the phone feel? Matter of fact, if I go buy an Android phone today, that's the first thing I check with it as well. And, and it suffered from some similar issues in the beginning as well. Yeah. And, and so our early builds, I think you know, we probably had some, you know, was, there was some uh, slowness associated with it. But I think well, by and large, not only still cleaning it up, they're making it very fast. It's, if you, I don't know if you've seen any of the later devices, but they're, they're very responsive. So I actually have a, I got a, a Firefox phone flame that I've been using for the last about month or so. I've been using Android before that. I actually think it's quite usable and it's been actually really great. I think for me, at least, I think the biggest thing I just wanted to ask about and just wondering about as far as day-to-day usability every day with just the copy and paste feature, I just was wondering if that is something that is coming up soon that you know about or is that yeah that's a pretty well that's a pretty common question we get in the mailing list and on irc and there is a bug log for that i can give you the number if you'd like to see it so you could track it but it is and my understanding is that we're hoping to get that in by 2.2 of firefox os so you might you may be able to even test a little bit of the cut and paste on text today with the two top one of the 2.2 builds gotcha okay so that's already in being Yep. Integrated. Awesome. And the other thing I just was wondering about is also the group text thing, because I just haven't ever, I kept multiple texts. I just was wondering if the text feature is going to be. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen, I've seen a lot of bugs on the, on texting and I thought we had already covered group text and I'll have to look up the bug on that. But if it is, there's not a bug law for it. We won't. Want you to log a bug. Obviously, right, yeah. we, wanna, we get feedback on on our mailing list all the time about, hey, I've been dog fooding the flame for so long. These are my issues, and uh, most of them are covered in bugs, but not all of them. There's uh, there would be unique cases that are not covered. I think one of the things we talked about in email was the flashlight app. You're right. So I mean, the, uh, the, while there are apps in our marketplace that do flashlight type functionality, we have a, a newly exposed camera API that gives you a lot of control over the camera that native. A lot of people want to see the flashlight in the, in Firefox OS native, and that's actually in the in a Bugzilla as well, and, and making its way through. So for me, I probably am not at all the the typical user of the Firefox phone. Like one of the things that I'm doing with one of mine is actually using it for a texting service, so that you know, as opposed to Twilio, where you have to pay per text with AT and T. I have 15 bucks a month for an extra SIM card. I don't use any data on it. I have unlimited texting. Like I can actually use that as part of some of the applications I build. And I think that that's um, really cool. And one of the things that I'm interested in, because like to me, it's not a phone that I'm, I'm going to use day to day. I mean, I, I hate to say that, but I, I just can't give up my iPhone at this point, you know, but to me, it's a great opportunity to develop in ways that I've never developed before because it wasn't accessible. So the idea of, like the telephony and the texting and and what I could do with a phone to make a, a phone behave more like a server that allows me to connect with people in, in ways that I hadn't thought of before. That's that's kind of the angle I'm coming from. And I'm I'm interested to know like where to go to, to dig deeper. Like if I want to replace the default texting app with my texting server, you yeah. know, so that when the phone boots up, I don't have to open my texting app. It just, whenever a text comes in, it would just get it without having to be activated yeah. or that kind of thing. 
Mind yeah, blown. Sorry. So it, when you're getting at that layer, you're actually getting at the, the Gaia source at that point. And so your best bet is actually if you want to make changes to the way things are started up and, and what apps are running and what they do, you probably most likely have to modify the Gaia source. And you can check out, like, if you want the link, I'll give you the link for my building Firefox OS and building Gaia. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be great because, like, one thing that I'd love to do is just – if I could replace the default texting app entirely, that would be something really cool for me with some of the things I'm trying to experiment with. Yeah, and you know, you know, we also have push notifications. I don't know if that would make uh, uh, affect you in this particular case, but we do have push notifications. Well, actually, I, I, I have to use those because it's kind of a, a round, like, I have to get the push notification from the server to say, hey, I've got a text I want to send, then send the text, then contact the server and say, hey, you know, yeah. success or failure. Right, okay. your your push notifications are essentially your web-facing API. Yeah, I actually have a demo. Maybe I'll put it in the show notes. Related cool. to this, somebody earlier in the call or maybe before the call said that Firefox OS will run on, like, the Raspberry Pi. So yeah. what, what kinds of things can you do with that? Because the Raspberry Pi does not come with a phone antenna or any of that stuff. Obviously, this is one of the where you get painted into a corner about pigeonholing a particular operating system for whatever, right? I mean, most if you look at a lot of the uh, the type of developer boards that are available out there, a lot of them are running some flavor of Android. Now, Raspberry Pi, I think there's a let me give you a uh, hang on a second. I, I think there's a YouTube video of showing it running on a, on a device uh, on a Raspberry Pi, and I think there's a camera laid down on it. Right now, we're not doing a whole lot with that, but those are these are some of the areas that we'll be investigating on what we can do. We want to control devices in your house with Firefox OS that doesn't necessarily require that you even have a UI. If you look at our the matchstick, which is basically an HDMI streaming card, uh, it's all Firefox OS, and you, it has an SDK that you can develop apps for and push to it, but there's no UI associated with with the exception of the TV, what you're seeing. So it's basically for allowing you to fling videos to it and things like that. So the whole idea is to, we in, in Mozilla, we not only do we want to make Firefox OS a great mobile operating system, we also want to push it in areas that most people don't see as a common thing for that to do. And the whole idea is... If I've been developing web apps for the last decade, maybe I don't want to learn a proprietary language to go out and develop for a phone. I want to use the languages that I know and love and that they will be performant on those devices, wherever that device may be. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So at that level, it almost becomes an alternative to Node, it sounds like. Yeah, you, uh, I don't want to say it's an alternative to Node, but yeah, you could see it used in cases very similar to that. Well, because we got system XHR, you got the yep. system TCP, you know, yep. you do expose, and, and I've noticed that some people actually have wrappers for the Firefox network APIs so that you can use node modules with them. Yeah, they do. So speaking of other devices, what can you say about Firefox OS on tablets? Yeah. Uh, so we had a, uh, uh, I think it was last year, the, our, the, yeah, I think it was last year, we released that uh, developer tablet program and where we had a few couple hundred de- tablets created with Firefox OS running on. That program is still going on, and actually I believe we're trying to push in the beginning of the new year another iteration of that. And the way we always do that is the same with our phones for apps programs. We push for a device, then we start trying to move it up you know, uh, maybe the device gets improved or the operating system gets improved, and we use that as a developer program. So right now, the only tablet available on is a is a developer tablet. And I think there's a hacks blog post about we're going to try to do it again next year. So I have uh, another question about getting started. If I want to get started developing a Firefox OS app, do I have to have a Firefox OS phone or device, or can I do it like on some kind of emulator? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And one of the things, if you noticed on the 10th anniversary, we announced this Firefox Developer Edition. And essentially, that is Firefox. Uh, there used to be their Aurora channel, but it's it's a, a browser that essentially has all our tools already enabled in it. And so you have tools for what we call this the Web IDE, which is a tool for authoring and building web apps and debugging web apps. And so as part of that, you can connect to a simulator. We also, as part of the Web IDE project, we have a connector called Valence that allows you to debug apps on Chrome on the desktop, uh, Safari on iOS. So that was that's all incorporated into the Web IDE itself. So we're really trying to develop a browser that is meant for developer workflow and is geared towards all the features that developers want. So we have a lot of tools in there. And a couple of new ones are, you know, so we you have your standard JavaScript debugger, your inspector, your style editor, but we also have things like a new and improved performance tab that really gives you a lot of capabilities as far as how it breaks down where your issues are. It has real-time tracking of the frame rate. So if I'm connected to the device or the simulator, I get this frame rate. also get nesting and of all my uh, uh, JavaScript stats. And also, you can see things like what is taking up the most amount of processing power. And that, you know, whether it be Gecko, the graphics uh, layer, storage, the network, or garbage collection, all of that is all incorporated in that performance tab. In addition to that, we also have this timeline feature that we're working on that actually shows you DOM events, uh, reflows, and, and things like that in a timeline. And then the last thing we have, which is a live memory editor, a live memory view of the apps themselves. So if I'm connected to my Firefox OS phone, I can bring up, connect to it, bring up this live memory monitor and actually see how much memory my device is taking up. So those are some of the tools. We also have added things like the web audio editor, which allows me to edit my uh, web audio nodes in my app and click on them, change things, the, the settings for each of the nodes. Uh, and it's a graphical representation. You see them as you, you create nodes, you see them appear in the tab, and then they disappear as they're garbage collected or you're done with them. We also have a, a Canvas debugger that allows me to debug Canvas tag and WebGL code and step through it. You can actually take a snapshot of how a particular image is created. I have this squirrel game where it's, the squirrel's paddling down a river. Take a picture of that, then I can see how I constructed that in my Canvas tag or WebGL code. And it builds it up frame by frame for me. And then it sounds it, it, like something we'll need another episode for just to talk about that. Well, it's a, it's a pretty cool tool. And, and I can tell you this, it, it, Mozilla, we're taking developer tools very seriously. It is a, it is one of our key initiatives at Mozilla. And, and frankly, we've made a lot of progress in the last year. We added a shader editor where you can, uh, modify the vertex and fragment shaders live, things like that. And so we're really trying to, step up the game as far as developer workflow and developer-centric and also make high-quality tools that people want to come back to. Yeah, that's really cool. I've actually, I've really noticed that Firefox, the browser, I didn't know about the developer edition, but uh, Firefox, the browser, definitely has improved in that regard over the last year. Yeah, I've seen a little bit of cat and mouse between Firefox and Chrome where one gets a little bit better tools in one area and then the other gets a little bit better tools in one area. And maybe that cat and mouse isn't on purpose, it's just coincidental. But. Uh, yeah, I think, well, I, I would believe that if you look at any new feature that comes out, right, the first thing that people are going to do is try to emulate that, especially if it's a successful feature. And that goes both ways. And that's part of the competition thing, right? If the one company controls everything, what is the emphasis behind ever innovating anything? 
So from our perspective, that is why we developed Firefox OS. We want an innovative, but more, most importantly, an open mobile ecosystem. And it was funny as our, and the, the providers, the, uh, the phone providers, they've been very key on, on making sure that it stays that way. So it's not just Mozilla, but it's the partners that we're partnering with in the telecom industry, uh-huh. which is really great to hear. Well, it makes, it makes a lot of sense for them too, because, um, let's say Android or iPhone get to the point where they essentially take over 90% of the handset market. I mean, then they're pretty much beholden to them. So it's in their best interest to have a fair distribution. The other thing that I really think is interesting is that I've noticed that not every feature from Chrome winds up in Firefox and vice versa. Usually what happens is somebody has a problem and they can't figure out how to debug it in Chrome. And then somebody shows them the really cool feature in Firefox. And so they start using Firefox and they put an issue in on Chrome that says, I want this feature. And so that's how those features, I think, tend to migrate one way or the other. So you don't get them all. You just get the ones that, you know, are most generally useful. And thanks to that, they both have really great mobile development tools now. Because Firefox was, I think, had a much better one. And and now Chrome's is definitely caught up. They're both really great mobile development tools. Definitely. Yep. All right. Well, I think we're getting close to our time limit. Are, are there any other aspects of Firefox OS that we haven't talked about that we should before we wrap up? Obviously, one we've talked about a couple of things that have actually landed in the last couple of releases, and, and one I wanted to make sure that you know you've, uh, that w- everybody knows that we we got WebRTC implemented now in, in 2.0, and that's not just the get user media call. That's all three of the APIs. Oh, nice. And we also, and we've also done a lot of work on Web NFC. I got I have a really cool demo where I take two flames and I I go to the HTML rocks WebRTC example where you know they got a token on the URL. I bring it open in my phone on my flame and I turn on NFC and I touch it to my other phone and swipe the web page over to the other phone and it fires up the browser with that same URL. <laughs> I start doing WebRTC with the two phones talking to myself, which I do quite frequently, but uh, <laughs> so illustrating some of the cool things you can do with, you know, like NFC sharing and, and obviously WebRTC. We, we look forward to a lot of cool stuff being created with it. So th- this is like where I, I was excited about this idea for Firefox phone before Apple announced that they had it and theirs now, but that uh, I could do something like WebRTC to answer a call on my computer that's actually coming from my phone. Is that something that I'll be able to do with Firefox OS, or is that still a ways out? Well, I, I think that, that that's a possibility to do. Uh, I don't, I'm not exactly sure how much work would be associated with it right out of the box, but I can swipe a, using the WebNFC feature, which is not going to be implemented necessarily on my laptop, but it is on my phone. Going phone to phone, that was easy enough, or maybe phone to Well, a- I mean, like, let's say I'm getting a phone call, right? So my Firefox phone is ringing, and I want, you know, if I'm on my Wi-Fi at home, I want my computer to ring. Yeah. And I want to be able to answer the computer and have it stream Through the, the voice data back and forth between the phone over my Wi-Fi. Is that it? And I think that that's probably feasible. I'm not exactly sure about it, how I would go about constructing that. What would be the best technology for that? So obviously WebRTC could play a part in the actual transferring of data, but actually doing the, setting up the communication period to basically says, hey, listen for my phone, that things like that may be a little bit more difficult. But it's, good, it's a great idea, and that's an, an idea we should actually look at. So one okay. other question that I have about Firefox OS, and this is more from a user standpoint than a developer standpoint, and that is um, it seems like 
all of the different phones out there kind of have that niche. And, uh, you know, so iPhones, if you have a whole bunch of other iDevices, you know, or you like the interoperability between your iPhone and your iPad or your iPhone and your iMac, your MacBook Pro and whatever, you know, then you kind of buy into the iPhone. If you want something a little bit different, then there are a gazillion different flavors of Android phone that all do something a little bit different, and you can kind of find your flavor there. How do you self-identify as a Firefox OS person, somebody that should really take a look at it and, you know, think, okay, this might be the thing that just really does it for me on phones? And that's a great question. And, I, and for me, the I really would prefer to answer that as a developer, right? Uh-huh. And to me, I've written Objective-C apps. I've written many, many Java apps. And for me, the coming back to the web-based development and having my, be able to consume and develop apps that just run like they're supposed to on any device, that's what I, I think that's a key differentiator. And I also think, you know, we're also in, in you know, working with, in the cloud with Firefox accounts. So if I set up my browser with a certain set of bookmarks, open tabs, then that automatically using our, the, the Firefox sync capability, I can sync that to my phone. So I'm reading at my desktop and I walk away and open up my phone. It's going to pick up right where I left off, things like that. So, um, uh, so is there a, you know, key niche thing that, oh, okay, are we going to make a Firefox OS? Router, you know, and and by the way, I just unplugged my Apple router, not for an entirely different reason, but I unplugged it. So, and and the answer to that is, is I don't know. Not uh, mm-hmm. currently, there's no plans to build uh, specific Firefox OS devices like that. Although we are going to try to push the barriers in a lot of well, ways. I, I would like to say, you know, to, to answer Chuck's question uh, from the user perspective, there's a couple things that Firefox phones do really well, like the markets that you're targeting in India, in South America. It's a reasonably priced phone, and it has really good features like dual SIM, where if you're going back and forth between, say, Canada and the United States, and you need to have two SIM cards in there, or you're going back and forth in Europe. I know there's a lot of countries in Europe where the the main two providers, it's like a difference of $0.30 cents per minute versus $0.02 cents per minute, so it's nice to have the two cards in. You know, so it's I, – I don't know as an American – for me, it would be kind of hard to convince my American friends to be like – you know, hey, this is what you should be using as a phone because I don't know that the circumstances quite apply. But I've heard Canadian, uh, one of the Canadian developers talk about how he loves the dual SIM feature. Mm-hmm. Well, we also, and also, too, is we're uh, constantly adding features, but the marketplace is, you know, is, is localized to your area, things like that, that you can find. Hey, I want the app for taxi cabs and, and Warsaw, right? So there's, there's certain features like that, adaptive search, where it searches for apps on the web and things like that. So, but, uh. Oh, I do like the search, by yeah. the way. Sorry to cut you off, but. No, no, no problem, no problem. Well, I'm glad you like it. But from my standpoint of what is the best way to make a, a, a mobile operating system, and that's always going to be give the users what they want, right? And and while we don't have every feature, i.e. cut and paste, in there that the users want, we're actively pursuing every one of them. And so, and we'll continue to do that. And then it's going to be done in an open fashion. Anybody can check the progress of any feature or ask for any feature through Bugzilla and, and actively be involved in the process. Well, I think it's really exciting. And and the thing that I really got out of both of your answers were, you know, if you're familiar with web technology stacks and you're, you know, you want to be able to kind of do, I don't want to say power user stuff because power user stuff is advanced features. But if you want to go in and actually be able to configure and modify your phone at a deep level, 
then this is a great way to go. And then, you know, AJ pointed out some terrific features on the phones themselves. Is there anything else that uh, we didn't even ask about that we should know about Firefox OS? Well, so we kind of alluded to this earlier, but we talked a little bit about Cordova. Uh-huh. And, and, oh, yeah. and obviously, uh, we're, we're big fans of Cordova. And because it's a essentially write in HTML and, and push it to different phones. Uh, and, and, and it's part of our work in the last year and a half. We've done quite a bit of work is implementing plugins for Cordova. And currently, I think we are up to like uh, 15 plugins that we implement that do, you know, the cameras, contacts, uh, geolocation, device motion, and things like that that are all implemented as part of Cordova plugins. And, when, and it's really simple for us because there's not really a compile stage. It's just basically map. Cordova's APIs to Firefox OS's APIs. And that's currently, we've been doing a lot of work with that, and we'll continue to do a lot of work on the Cordova project. Cool. I I did have one more question. We postponed this show from a couple months ago because there were new features that were coming out that you weren't at liberty to discuss yet. And one of those was the developer edition of Firefox. And I was asking, what what are the other things? Did we already cover them, or is there still some stuff? Well, we've covered them in a, in a broad sense. Obviously, the big one being Firefox Developer Edition, and that's a like I said, that's a very focused channel. Even the the whole GUI's been restructured to be very developer focused, and the workflows developer focused. But also, the adding of one of the big tools that we've worked on in the last year is the the Valence product, which basically allows me to not only debug my Firefox OS apps, but also debug them on de- debug a Chrome on my Android device or or Safari on iOS which I think are huge uh, benefits. AJ, one other quick question, and I, I don't know if you want this for the recording or not, but you would ask about performance improvements and, and, and ways to, uh, to check that. Uh, I delineated several of the tools that are available to you now to check if an app is being performing or, or has issues. But there's also you know, a developer HUD. I don't know if you've experimented with it on your flame, but there's a developer HUD for showing frame rates, time to load, and uh, jank and reflows and things like that that are available actually on the phone itself. So when you're plugged in, you can not only be looking at your dev tools and watching your uh, live memory monitor, but you can also turn around and look at the device and see what it's actually doing at the same time. And so those are all key in performance. And But you had asked about AS, ASM.js, and, and the answer to the question is, you know, those will work on Firefox OS phone. And while uh, ASM.js is really just a target of mscript, and you can code by hand asm.js but it's probably not it's probably not the necessarily the way you want to go i i had a, i had a game where i had some fairly complex physics equations and i didn't use a physics library because it was just a very minute set and i did not want an entire library for this so i developed it in in javascript it's fairly simple, known cases of collision detection. And then, so if I'm going to do that, and uh, I'm going to uh, perform very well on the Flame device, but what if I want even better performance for, say, the Keon device, which is a little bit lower end? Then um, my one of my options would obviously be able to rewrite that collision detection and see, and then uh, use MScript and the compile it down to asm.js, and then, then include it in the app. So, and there is a manifest setting that was recently added that says, you know, pre-compile my asm.js code. Uh-huh. In my app, so so you can get actually uh, better performance and things like that. Now that said, you can write it by hand, and I and, and there are a few examples on the web, and I wish we had some some more on it. But we're actually doing a lot of work associated with trying to you know uh, speed up JavaScript in general. So, all right. Well, uh, while I'm I'm thinking about it, just one pro tip for anybody that's developing: if you want to use the certified apps, the um, 
the developer tool, and maybe this has changed in the last couple updates because I it's been a couple weeks since I played with it, but um, you can't debug certified apps in the Firefox app development tool. And it gives you a little notice saying certified apps are not fully supported. But if you change your manifest file to be a privileged app, exit out, delete the app, reinstall it, load it as a privileged app, it'll give you an error saying these privileges are only for certified apps. You change the manifest file, you don't delete the app, you just click reload, it'll let you debug certified apps. Nice. Uh, one other tip I'll add on top of that, and that's a great tip, uh, is uh, if you want to, if, you, if you're debugging a certified app that's already on the phone itself, there is a if you go into the web ID, there's a setting for uh, getting the information off a particular phone, and you have there's a, a button on there that you can actually request to receive higher permission to actually debug certified apps that are already installed on the phone. Now, that's not necessarily pushing your own certified app to the uh, device, but it's ones that are already like email, the clock, whatever, even the home screen for that matter. Okay. I'll have to take a look at that. Yeah. Uh, if you go into, let me, let me bring up the link real quick so I can remember to tell you exactly where to go. If you go to the web ID and once it comes up, if you select runtime and then go to runtime info, there'll be a, a button. If you're connected to the flame, it says click on it and it becomes, I can debug my certified apps. Okay. Awesome. Remember I talked about the three levels of, of apps, you know, the privileged, the certified. You can use APIs that are restricted using web activities and as far as Firefox OS is concerned, too. And those function much like Android Intents. So I just wanted to make sure that everybody was aware of that. So if you want to use a context API, which is under privilege, and you want to do it from a hosted app or, or packaged app with no privilege, then you can use a web activity to actually request that. And what all that does is just add a user step in the interaction of saying the user clicks something. Like if I want to get a picture, uh, it presents me all the apps that handle pictures. And you, if you write your own app, you can say, hey, I, I handle pictures as well, and it'll show you in the list as well. Oh, nice. Well, that's cool. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. AJ, do you have some picks for us? I'm blanking at the moment. Come back to me. All right. How about you, Forrest? Yeah, I've actually just been playing with React and Immutable. It's actually really cool together, along with the new Cursors library with that. I actually really like both of those, those libraries in, together right now. I would say that's my pick. Very cool. Dave, do you have some picks for us? Oh, you know I do. I have two picks for you today. The first one is a simple but pretty and easy-to-use charting library for JavaScript called Morris. That's M-O-R-R-I-S. And I picked it up for a little prototype project I was working on, and uh, it really was nice. It was easy to get started with, lay out some charts, make them look pretty. It was kind of cool. So I like that. My second pick is I did a little history research, and I found that the term gonk actually comes from this little plushy doll from the 60s. So I would like to pick the gonk from 1960 and 1970, and as a follow-on pick, there was a movie made about them called Gonks Go Beat, which I am going to try to find and watch so I can really know what a gonk is like. And those he are my gets, picks. He gets the prize. AJ, do you have some picks for us? Sure. The cool thing I've been using this week a little bit has been ScreenFlow. I've had ScreenFlow for several years, and, and sometimes I use it more and sometimes I use it less, but I, I like to create sometimes just for myself. Like I'll create a video of how I'm doing something so that when I need to go do it again, I can watch myself do it and make sure that I, I get it right. Cause some processes are just 
you know, complicated. And I, it's just kind of a hobby of mine. I like to make screencasts uh, to companion to blog articles or, or just on their own. And then occasionally just stupid ones that have no real value at all whatsoever. But ScreenFlow makes it really easy. And so I'll pick that. I can totally see AJ watching a, a screencast and going, this guy's brilliant. He explained things exactly the way I would have. You know, I think that that is something that I would say. Oh, actually, there's one other thing I want to pick. The Star Wars Dark Apprentice series. It, uh, I got it for Christmas. It's book series, trilogy. Uh, nice. Or I think it's called Jedi. I think it's Jedi Academy trilogy and Dark Apprentice is the second book. But I read one of the books a couple years ago and, and wanted to read the other ones and, and I got them for Christmas. And so I'm starting to. And, uh, it's good if you're into Star Wars. Yeah. Oh, well, Joe's not into Star Wars. I know that. All right. I've got a couple of picks. The first one is Amazon S3. It's part of the Amazon AWS Web Services suite. And it's just a really convenient place to store things in the cloud that lots of people are going to hit, like, say, Podcast Album Art. And then I can just point stuff there and it just works. So uh, definitely a fan of that. And yeah, I've been using Dropbox a lot. I don't know if I picked that on the show here as well. But uh, Dropbox is awesome. And finally, the last bit is Boomerang for Gmail. And I'm pretty sure I've picked this on the show before, but I use it all the time. Especially lately, I've been talking to four or five different people about getting some client work going. And whenever I email them now, I tell it to remind me to follow up in a couple of days. Or if they're like, well, I should have everything ready by next Monday or Tuesday, then I set the thing to remind me next Tuesday, and then I feel like a genius when I come and check my inbox next Tuesday, and it says, um, go follow up with this person. So those are my picks. Jason, do you have some picks for us? I actually have one pick, and that's the uh, Blend for Web plugin, which is the WebGL plugin for Blender. I posted a link in for the Hacks blog where there's an article that discusses it. I think WebGL is very, very cool. I think a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the game manufacturers, Unity, the Unreal Engine, a lot of them are going that direction. And I just think that, that I love Blender, although I'm not very good with it. Uh, I still like it a lot. I like the idea of being able to create content in that way. And that, and when, if you're an app developer, game developer, some of the biggest struggles you always have is developing great visual content. And Blender is a great tool. And so blend for web just pushes it out to WebGL for you. It's a really cool tool. Anyway, uh, thanks for coming, Jason. It was fun to talk, and this is definitely something that's going on my list of something to look at, play with. If people, well, uh, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say I appreciate the opportunity to come on and speak on it. And and if you guys, if you have an app or something like that that you want to try out on a flame, and you got, um, let me know. And if uh, you need, obviously, if you need any help in the future, reach out to me. All right. And uh, if people want to follow up with you or find out more about what you're working on, what what are the best places to do that? Uh, you can reach me on Twitter uh, at Jason Weathersby, and that's probably the best way to contact me. I'm also jweathersby at mozilla.com as my email. Awesome. Thanks again for coming. I appreciate it. All right. We'll wrap this show up and we'll catch you all next week. Have you noticed that a lot of developers always land the job they interview for? Are you worried that someone else just landed your dream job? John Sonmez can show you how to do this with the course, How to Market Yourself as a Software Developer. Go to devcareerboost.com and sign up using the code JJabber to get $100 off.
This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit c a c h e f l y dot com to learn more. Do you wish you could be part of the discussion on JavaScript Jabber? Do you have a burning question for one of our guests? Now you can join the action at our membership forum. You can sign up at javascriptjabber.com slash jabber, and there you can join discussions with the regular panelists and our guests. <laughs>